Well, Clint just mentioned that this is Deacon Appointment Sunday. Um, we are going to be appointing Aaron Sherman and Derek Lane to the office of Deacon this morning. Um, I know we have the little ones in here today, and so this is not going to be an exhaustive, long sermon, so you can relax just a little bit. I want the kiddos to listen to me for just a second, though, that if you're in here and you can understand what I'm saying and you're old enough to understand, I want you to pay attention because what is going to be happening this morning is very important, kids, even if you're a teenager. Something that we hope for you in your life, something that we hope for you and your family in the future is what you're going to see played out in the church today and our hope for the church of tomorrow. So kiddos, listen best you can and watch what happens this morning because it's vital. It's vital to the future of the church and to your faith that you aspire to be like and want to fill the role of deacon and be that guy and be maybe, young ladies, a wife of that man. And so I hope that this is a sobering morning where we remember again the importance of vetting, the importance of calling of church leaders. So y'all pray with me before we get started that this would be a, a faithful time, faithful to the Word, and that we would, um, it would be a sobering time for all of us again. Father, it's my prayer that this morning we are reminded again by your word of what, good, of what good order looks like, of what your design looks like and how we trust it. And you would remind us again of the call for the deacon and even the elder and the importance and the hope that comes when deacons are serving well and the comfort and the peace that comes and the relief that comes from men who serve well as deacons, qualified, tested, and approved. I pray you would arrest my heart again this morning as an elder here to my call and qualification and approval in this role and it would not be taken lightly in my own heart. We're grateful that you've given us guidance in your word on how to be the church. And we trust that people will believe on Jesus among all nations when your church is served and led well by men who are walking in wisdom and faith, power and grace and the Spirit. We need you, God. You say if we need wisdom to call on you, and you would send wisdom from above, and we need your wisdom. We count on it this morning. I pray this is clear, encouraging, and that it is challenging this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be in primarily two passages this morning. Acts chapter 6 is what we'll look at first, and then we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. And in Acts 6, we're going to look at three things. 
who these guys are that are deacons, who they are, what marks them, what they do, and what happens when deacons serve well. We get, a, we get a broad stroke of it here, not exhaustive, but we get a view and a window into who these guys are, who they should be, what marks their life. Secondly, what they do. And we get a window into what happens when these guys walk out this service in faith. So let's read the first seven verses of Acts 6 together, and then we'll look at these three things. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in daily distribution. The daily distribution of food, eating together, some people were missing. Okay, They weren't getting their share. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Who are these guys, these deacons? What marks them? How are they called? How is the congregation and the gathered gathered people of God, how are they uh, to choose? Who are they to see? Who are they looking for? And number one, who these guys are. They are men of good reputation. Look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation. That makes sense that they would have a good reputation because you're asking the people that they live with and walk with to recommend them, right? You're not going to recommend someone who you don't trust or you don't respect, you don't look up to, you don't think is worthy of any sort of respect that you question and you wonder about. You don't recommend that man. This past couple weeks, Bill Ruth led us through a study of Joel chapter 2. Actually, the whole book of Joel, but he was in Joel 2 this past Wednesday and did such a wonderful job of exposing. And what we see in Joel 2, one of the truths that, that Bill exposed in that is that God's name is inextricably linked to the reputation of his people. And, and this deacon, he understands that his reputation is linked to God's name. And there is a little bit of trepidation. There's a fear and respect. And there is a sobriety to this man. Understanding that his reputation means something. I just, I just love that connection. That we are mindful of what people think of us. To the extent that we have a trustworthy reputation. Secondly, these men are full of the spirit and of wisdom. So, full of the Spirit. These, there's three markers here that we, we see uh, they're charged with asking, who are these men? The, they have these three things, and then there's three things that describe Stephen, but I think can be applied to any deacon. So, good reputation, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, 
And then Stephen, in verse 5, let's see here. Yeah, verse 5, and when they said what, what, what they said pleased the whole gathering, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then later, we see that Stephen is marked with full of grace and full of power. So are you, are you, are you hearing who these men are? This good reputation, marked by faith, marked by the Spirit, leading in their life, full of grace and full of power. This asking the congregation, Crosspoint, we, we have asked you, who, who are these men? And you recommended men to us who are deaconing, who are of good reputation, full of the Spirit, faith. We have asked you and you have responded. What they do, secondly, what do these men do? They do two things primarily. And this is a broad stroke given to us in this passage. The number one thing that they do is they free up the elders to preach and to pray. They free up the elders to preach and to pray. Prayer of ministry and the word. Second half of verse 2 there. Look at, look at it again with me. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And then in verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. When we first started here at Crosspoint, um, early, early days, none of us came to this church plant with a lot of references on what it meant to be elder-led. We didn't have experience in that. None of us had come from churches where elders led. And that was a real catchy phrase back then, 12 years ago. Is your church elder-led? 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 That phrase was thrown out a lot. And we, kind of, we were proud of it because we were venturing into something that we thought was biblical, and it was, but we didn't know what it looked like. And what ended up happening was the elders ended up doing just about everything. <laughs> we, we, we had this weight and this responsibility of overseeing and governing this body, and God had not raised up de- deacons yet early on, and we ended up kind of doing everything. And boy, that got old fast. And, and many of you were here, and you remember, maybe you experienced some of the fallout of some of our decisions with facilities or with the money or with pastoral care. And it is not good when the elders are expected to do everything because they are not freed up to focus on their three roles, which is oversight, preaching, and praying. And the deacon relieves the pastor and the preacher. He, the deacon relieves them so that they can fine-tune the preaching. They can spend their time and spend their life on preaching. Love you with the gospel and sound doctrine. And we're freed up to do that as elders when there are deacons serving well. The second thing that the deacon does is he is mindful of the needs of the body. Where is there a void? Where is there a need in this body? Where is there any neglect at all? Deacon moves in with an intentionality. Where is neglect? Where is there a vacuum? Where is there a need that I can fill it? And I can serve. And I can can bring relief to the body. Where Where is there a tension? Where is there a shortfall? Where is there a need? And the deacon is looking for it and is intentional to move in and serve 
so that relief comes. Do you see that? The deacon brings relief to the body. There at the end of this passage, whenever the apostles presented, they presented these men and they said, this is what we're going to do with these guys. It says that the, the people were pleased. There should be, hopefully, in you this morning, as we present two more men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, full of grace, full of power, full of wisdom, who are already bringing relief to you and this body, it should, it should comfort you and please you and encourage you to know two more men are being appointed to this work. Two more men, tested and approved, recommended, are entering that office. I hope that like the church in Acts, that you're pleased with that, that it comforts you and it encourages you to know two more men in that office, in this body. It should please us. It should be a comfort to you. And this is what happens when you have elders preaching and praying. I tell you what, in the last couple of years, when Scott and Ben and I get together and meet, you know what we do? Primarily, we are talking about our preaching and we're praying for you. Hadn't always been that way. But what relief it is when we gather and what's in front of us as men, as elders, is to pray for you and talk about sound doctrine that you need to hear and that we need to hear. Man, it is a joy, a joy to fulfill that role when you know that there are men bringing relief to the body and managing the household of God so that we can do that very thing and not unencumbered by things we really proved we weren't good at anyway. <laughs> but what happens when you have deacons who serve well and fulfill this role is in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly. And a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. What happens when deacons serve well? The gospel goes out. God's name is made great. Eyes are open and people are converted when deacons serve well. When elders are freed up to preach and pray. People are saved. And the church grows. The kingdom advances. Do you hear that? How, how do we advance this kingdom? That's military talk, right? How, how does this kingdom advance? When you have men serving well as deacons, freeing up Elders to preach and to pray. Kingdom advances. I don't know if you watch war movies or old war movies, but, or you appreciate war history, but I, I get a tingle in my spine when I think of this advancing kingdom. Saint, like when I see a battle scene in a movie. I hope that's what it does to you. That this kingdom is moving. It's rolling. It will roll. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And it's going to happen. And it is advancing at cross point because deacons serve well. And the nations are knowing about Jesus because deacons are serving well. And they freed the elders to preach and to pray. All right, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want to look closer at their qualifications for these men. A lot of similarities 
to what we see in Acts 6, but we're going to look a little closer at these qualifications for the deacon. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. We've, in this passage, we've just seen the qualifications for the elder, and now the qualifications for the deacon. And these are together in this passage because they lead the church together. They're, they're mentioned together, they lead together. And we'll look a little closer at that in just a minute. Verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay, you will know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of this godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, talking about Jesus, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. I want to walk through these uh, qualifications, briefly explain what they mean, and then we'll move on to the, the qualifications for the wife, and then this last passage, 14, to the end of the chapter. Deacon qualifications, dignified. That means they're composed in their manner. They have a composure about them in their character. Never too hot, never too cold. When it comes to reactions, when it comes to dealing with people, there is a, there is a composure that marks this man, and a, and a level-headedness. They're worthy of respect. This is that good reputation. That, that good reputation comes back here again in the qualification that they are dignified, that people respect them. They're not double-tongued, secondly. What comes out of their mouth is trustworthy, and they are neither manipulative or insincere when they speak. Neither manipulative or insincere when they speak. You don't have to have, you don't leave a conversation with this man scratching your head. You're like, well, he, he just said something different to me yesterday, and well, that's not what I heard from him this morning, or that's not what he told that person. You, you rarely leave a conversation with this guy scratching your head, not double tongued. Not addicted to much wine. It's not a complete abstinence qualification, but a temperance qualification. Not addicted. It's very difficult for any man to serve in any sort of ministry when they're drunk. You can't, you can't do it. It's a disqualification if you're addicted. And that's, not, that's the caution here. That's the warning and that's the qualification. It's not addicted. No dishonest gain. They can be trusted because they have a good reputation in their business or their vocation. People know that they're not in it to make money at all costs. That they're not a lover of money and that they're not in it to make money at all costs. 
even being dishonest. There's a purity to their work, a purity to the money that they make, and an integrity in their work. They hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It means two things. It means that they have a grasp of the gospel. They've listened to the gospel. They have a grasp of the gospel story and the scriptures. And yet, their life matches it. You see that? That's the clear conscience. They, they walk out and live what they know to be true in the gospel. The gospel transform them, transforms them and it changes them. And so they have a grasp of the gospel. They're able to articulate the elements of the gospel. And what, what we've seen in Acts 6 and Acts 7 is some of them even teach and preach. Not all of them. But some deacons can articulate the gospel so well that they teach and they even preach. But the clear conscience is that they walk in it. Their life affirms what you hear them preach about the gospel. Tested and approved. Are they deaconing upon appointment? Here at Crosspoint, our testing, uh, Aaron and Derek, uh, they didn't take a multiple choice test. Uh, We didn't grill them with a bunch of questions. The testing for us is how have they been deaconing? We've been watching these men. We've been watching all of you. All those recommended by the body. We've been watching. Are you deaconing? Are you faithful in it now? We're not bringing Aaron and Derek into something hoping they'll start doing something. Do you see it? We're not hoping that they all of a sudden start serving you. They've already been tested in that they're already serving you. They're already bringing relief to the body. And so we view that time as we watch men who have been recommended by the body as the testing and the approval. These men prove blameless. What does that mean that they're blameless? It means that they're up for the commitment. That they're up for this. And that they, they, they know what they're getting into. And they know the charge. They know the high call of a deacon. And they know what it means that the kingdom will advance and what it will require of them. That's why we met with Aaron and Krista, Derek and Lindsay, to explain to them what this call looks like and what it means. And then, you know what we did? We gave them time to think about it. (laughs) We wanted them to pray together and think about, are are you going to be wholehearted in this? Can you be wholehearted in this? Can you say, I am going to do this, I am going to be this man? And, and, and can you say, I'm going to be this man's wife? Can you do this? Will you do this? Are you up for it? Are you blameless? Are you wholehearted in your commitment? Husband of one wife, that means a one-woman man. Very briefly, we have deacons who have been married before. We don't believe that this means if you've been divorced, you're disqualified. But it means, as they're in front of you in your church, are they a one-woman man? And lastly, they manage their household well. There's an order, ordered ministry within their family. And it will overflow into the church. And an ordered ministry in their family means an ordered ministry in this church. Deacons' wives. Deacons' wives also must be composed, respectable, not a gossip, sober-minded and faithful. So Krista 
And Lindsay, this, is, this call and this charge is for you as well. We don't have a qualification list for the elder's wife. Because the elder's wife is not expected to assist in the preaching. However, we have a qualification for the deacon wife because the implication here is that the deacon's wife comes alongside him in his service and assists and supports him in this service. And that she serves with him. And that she extends him grace when he's got two meetings in a week up here with church leadership. Or he leaves at, late at night to go help a family. Or meet with them. Or maybe you go with him in that service. There's a real call here to the deacon's wife to assist in this ministry and serve alongside him in this deacon ministry. And in verse 13, For those who serve well as a deacon gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith. Deacons, do you know that when you are the current deacons and even uh, Derek and Aaron, listen, you, you have gained good standing. You've gained respect when you enter this office and yet at the same time, you have a confidence in your faith that's the fruit of fulfilling that role. It's an odd promise and guarantee here. That, that your faith is shored up when you're a deacon. When you serve well, when you fulfill this role, you will be more confident in the faith that he's given you. There's a confidence, not in yourself, but a confidence in the advancing kingdom when you're a deacon and you serve well, and you serve faithfully and blamelessly. You, you get a confidence in the faith that's uncanny. And many of you could testify to that confidence. But it's a promise and a guarantee here that there is a confidence in you when you serve well. An unwavering faith comes from this. In Titus and in 1 Peter, we see um, this oversight that the elder is given. The elder is given oversight. The elder is called to preach and to pray. And the deacons manage the household of God. Why deacons and why elders? Why deacons and why elders? Why do we do it like this? Well, we do it because the Bible says so. And the irony is not lost on me that we live in the Bible belt. And yet, not many churches led with a balance of elders and deacons. And so why do we do this? Is it just so we can say, well, we got it right. We're, we're doing it right, so, you know... We're pretty, do we, do we, are we arrogant in that? Do we, we have to check our heart. Why do we do it this way? Why do we call deacons? Why do we, they manage the household of God? And why do we continue in this? And why do we guard this? And why do we vet these men so carefully? And why do we move together so carefully in this? Is it just so we can get stuff done and have a budget and have a facility and have chairs, air conditioning? Is that why? So we can be comfortable? Is it to give these guys a place to feel affirmed in their gifting. Some people would, would, do, would move in that. I just want you to feel better about yourself and your spiritual gifts, so come be a deacon. Is that why, ultimately? The reason, the reason why we call these men and they fulfill this role is because the church is the church of a living God. A living God. And the church is a pillar and buttress 
of the truth. The hope for this world is not just the story of Jesus. It's not just the story. The hope for the world is that there would be churches served well by deacons, taught well and overseen well by elders. That's the hope for the world, where where people come and hear the gospel and then they have a place after converted to walk out and live their faith. Served well by deacons, led well by deacons, governed and taught well by elders. It's the hope for the world is that there are churches who trust his design in deaconing an elder. And the church is a people, not a building. You've heard us say that many times. So much time and attention. If you grow up anywhere in the Bible Belt, you know. If you grew up anywhere around here or in the South, you know so much time and attention is given to the buildings, facilities, and programs. And yet, maybe more time and attention to buildings, programs, facilities, creativity, than even the men who lead you and the men who preach to you and the men who serve you. And there's nothing new under the sun. This quote from A.D. 394 from Jerome, nothing new under the sun. The church is, is still young, just getting off the ground, just moving. A.D. 394, listen to what he says. Many build church buildings nowadays. Sound familiar? Their walls and pillars of glowing marble, their ceilings glittering with gold, their altars studded with jewels. Yet the choice of Christ's ministers, no heed is paid. We must take heed to the men. We must take heed to what we expect out of the men that preach to us and bring relief to us. We must take heed. And Crosspoint, don't ever drift from that. If God calls you to another town, another city moves you, if you're a part of a church plant and and you're called away from here, take heed to the men preaching to you and the men bringing relief to you. Acts 6, 1 Timothy 3. Expect to be taught sound doctrine. Expect to be given this. And expect the men that that are preaching to you to be served and and co-lead with deacons who serve well. That's the question to ask. Who's leading this thing? Where are the leaders? And how have they been vetted? We're talking about planning a church next year. Hopefully. And when we have these meetings where we're talking about planning this church, you know what we're not talking about? We're not talking about a nifty logo. We're not talking about a real swell location. We're not worried about a building. What we talk most about is who's going to be the deacon? We have qualified men preaching who can preach, interested in coming to this church plant, elders appointed. And our question is who's going to manage this thing? Who's going to manage the people and bring relief? And who's going to free these elders up to preach? Who appreciates sound doctrine and the qualifications for the deacon and who is faithful? Husband of one wife, blameless. Where are the deacons? That's the conversation we have when we talk about this church plan. It is men like Aaron Sherman and Derek Lane and the rest of our diaconate leading well with the elders 
that fortify the pillar and buttress of truth. They fortify the pillar and the buttress of truth. A better, creative, fancier logo? Nah, doesn't do it. Doesn't cut it. Better programs? Funnier preaching? Media? More media. Better air conditioner? Better lights? No. That does not fortify the pillar and the buttress of truth. What fortifies the pillar and the buttress of truth are deacons that serve well, qualified, tested, and approved, who free up elders to preach and pray and govern. And while none of us are indispensable, and what I mean by that, none of us in leadership here are absolutely necessary in ourselves, and we could get hit by that proverbial bus tomorrow, That's the beauty and the plurality and the balance that we find when deacons and elders serve and lead together, fulfilling their roles faithfully. That none of us is indispensable. None of us is absolutely necessary. But what comes out of the plurality of us, the multiple men leading together, what comes out is a wisdom and a truth that none of us can find on our own. Men yielding to one another, listening to one another, challenging one another, holding one another accountable to fulfill their role and freeing one another up to fulfill their role. What comes is a wisdom and a truth and a fortifying of the church. It strengthens the church. Don't ever drift and don't ever think and don't ever be fooled about what makes a church strong, what makes it fortified. Don't ever drift. Elders, deacons, Aaron, Derek, you are not indispensable. And you and I, we are unworthy for such a task. It is a distinguished privilege to, as he says here in verse 15, to confess the mystery of Jesus, to confess this gospel to the nations and to see people believe it. Why? Because deacons are faithful to free up the preacher. Deacons are faithful to bring relief to the body and they can handle the gospel and explain it and they're confident in it. And it's a privilege. None of us worthy on our own, but it is a privilege, a sweet privilege. And Cross Point, I'm going to ask you to do something here, especially this morning, but continue in praying that God would protect the leadership of this church. I don't know any other way to say that. That you would pray that God would protect. The enemy would love nothing more than to see the pillar and buttress of truth crash and burn. So where will he shoot first? Well, what fortifies the pillar and buttress of truth? the deacons and the elders. What makes it strong? The men who lead it and their wives. And and pray that God would keep our hearts free from presumption on one another, free from assuming the worst out of each other, but that we would be high in that Romans 11 extending trust, undeserved trust to one another, and high in extending respect to one another. And we would be great at extending accountability to one another, and that he would protect this leadership, not for our sake, 
Not for my reputation. Not for the reputation of this church even, but for his namesake, that he would protect and fortify this church. That's how you can pray. You are praying. And I know you appreciate it. I hear it all the time. But I just have to say again, pray. Don't ever stop praying that God would fortify this church and that he would protect the leadership and the plurality that we have here. It is sweet. Pray that Proverbs 26 prayer that none of us would be wise in our own eyes, but that we would yield to seven sensible men, Proverbs 26, 16, that we would recognize there are sensible men around us and that we would lead in that vein. Not wise in my own eyes, convinced but teachable, that we would move together and lead together, yielding to one another and listening to one another, knowing that sensible men surround us. That sensible men means these men are, have been trusted with a message. So Aaron and Derek, you may not have known it until today, but you're being invited into an argument. <laughs> Maybe contending is a better word. It sounds odd that we would invite you in to contend with us. Contend with us over the needs of this body. Contend with us over the preaching. Contend with us over the teaching. Contend with us over the souls of this church. I want uh, just to share one more thing with you before Aaron and Derek and their wives come up here. Um, there is a real G and a haw that goes on with elders and deacons. And, you know, church history... You look at the history of, in this county the last 50 years, there, there has been this place where deacons govern and maybe preach, and the pastor only preaches. And then there maybe have, we've had seasons where churches are marked by the pastor who does everything, and the deacons are glorified janitors. And there's, there's, there's been this G and hall where it's hard to find that balance where the deacons bring relief to the body Appreciate sound doctrine, blameless, faithful, tested and approved. And that where elders are truly freed up to preach and pray and oversee. And I have to say, this is how it feels at Cross Point right now. Balanced. It feels balanced. It feels balanced. And so let's, let's pray that we stay there. And this morning is a part of fortifying the pillar and the buttress of truth and fortifying that balance. Why? so that Jesus will be believed on among the nations. That's why. Aaron and Krista, y'all come up here. Derek and Lindsay, y'all come up here. And then Scott and Ben, will y'all come up here? I want to affirm these two men and let you know what we see in them and how we've seen them tested. Y'all come up here on stage over here if you can. Everybody can see you in the lights. What I'm going to do is I want you to hear from the elders what we've seen in these men and their families. Why we feel like we say, tested and approved. And then after I do that, Ben is going to give them a gift and explain that. And then Scott, if you don't mind leading our prayers, we lay hands on Derek and Aaron. Church family, Aaron Sherman, tested and approved by the elders and other deacon leaders via his leadership in his home, leadership in his life group, 
and leadership and service in our student ministry. Aaron has a tenderness and a sensitivity to the Spirit in his conversations with people here in this body and those that he leads and those that he serves with. Aaron has a very apparent appetite for sound doctrine, speaking the truth in love. Aaron is a man of faith and God's mysterious gospel. Aaron has displayed a mutual submission to those that he serves with and those that are in charge. he's, He's a submissive man when we meet together, when we pray together, yet he doesn't forfeit leading with intentionality. Do you know what I mean by that? Aaron is, has, has figured out a balance of listening but not being able, afraid to lead from the front either. It's a very unique quality in Aaron. Aaron has a good reputation, which he understands is linked to the name of Christ and his bride. And we believe, church family, that Aaron Sherman brings great relief to our body here at CF. Aaron, we're overjoyed and humbled to appoint you as a deacon. Derek, tested and approved by the elders and deacon leaders via his leadership in his family, life group, and our worship ministry that you've seen this morning. Derek is bold without being audacious. If you've ever been around Derek, you know he's not reluctant to speak. He's bold, but he does it without being brazen. Derek's life seems to put on display this Philippians 2 of counting others more significant than yourselves. If you've ever been around Derek, you know that that's how he walks out his faith. There's a steadiness to Derek's faith, and there's an eagerness to serve and lead without being presumptuous or overconfident. Derek is a man of faith. In Jesus and his mysterious gospel, Derek has proven to be mutually submissive with both those that he leads as well as those he serves with. Derek, too, has shown an appetite for sound doctrine and the purity of the bride and how we sing together. He's not just performing. He's interested and cares about what you're singing. Derek has a good reputation, which he understands is linked to the name of Christ and his bride. And Derek, we are overjoyed and humbled at your appointment as a deacon here at Cross Point. Some seriously fine men. Okay, I'm glad that wasn't these. No, no. Oh, the um, some seriously fine men standing here, and pretty amazing ladies standing with them. These are the kind of men I want my sons to be. Yeah. Eleven years ago, being called here, planting a church, man, it was just this void of leadership, and that's a new church context. That's that's part of the story as you show up and. As the Lord brings leadership, he grows the church. And um, to stand here beside men like this, to appoint them this morning, is really, really a treasure. I thought in some ways that maybe for visitors, those of you who are visitors that are not here connected to them, but you may have just shown up this morning, that this morning could feel a little bit um, like housekeeping Sunday. Like, ah, I showed up on a housekeeping Sunday instead of a, a... regular Sunday where there's a regular sermon and regular events. And um, I thought about it like this. I was sitting down there thinking, you know, it'd be almost like showing up to a graduation ceremony for a bunch of surgeons. 
you're like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. Uh, you know, when's this going to be over? It's, I'm not really connected to these people. I don't really know these people. I don't, I'm talking about for those that are visiting or those that don't know them. But then when one of those surgeons becomes your surgeon, then you're like, oh, okay, I want to pay attention to the graduation ceremony. I want to see them graduate in cum laude, not thank the laude. <laughs> I, I want them getting some recognition, you know, because they're going to be cutting on me. Well, these are your surgeons if you stick around here. Those that have been here for 11 years or for any extended period of time, you know that you've had some surgeons that have been the hands and feet and mouth of Jesus to you when you've been in need, and those are our deacons. So, man, it may be a little bit of a housekeeping Sunday, but know that this is a treasure for us as a church. Uh, Brad asked me to share briefly um, about these vessels uh, this metal vessel down here, Brad, you can pick that up. This thing, Brad is my show and tell, Vanna, Vanna this morning. <laughs> All right, you can set it down. That metal one uh, we purchased years ago. We found it in, you know, in this ancient archaeological site called Hobby Lobby. And um, we purchased it years ago when we were preaching through John 13 on Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And it wasn't long after that, it may have been around that time frame that we began to appoint our own deacons for the first time. And we realized it would be very fitting for each of our deacons to have a vessel as well. And I'd like to read the passage and I'd like to give uh, each of these families a vessel. And what's cool about these vessels is, again, they're Hobby Lobby. There's nothing really special about them. But they become special when I'm visiting a deacon's home and I see it sitting on the mantle. Or I see it sitting in somebody's office where... They want to be reminded and their families reminded of how special it is to be called and appointed to the role of deacon in, in our church. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that this hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Continues on down the page. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You have given an example that you... For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, each of these, I think the colors are in some way matched to the colors in your home. So this is for the lanes, or at least according to the ladies that helped me buy these. So <laughs> I'm not responsible if it doesn't work out. So you can transform the colors in your home to match the vase. That's more fitting. All right. Thank you all. I'm going to pass this to Scott. He's going to pray. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you now, and we, uh, we come before you humbly, and we come before you full of thanks.
uh, again and again as a congregation, Lord, we are able to proclaim that you are great and greatly to be praised. And today we see one of the many reasons that you are um, so great. Lord, I'm thankful for the lanes and I'm thankful for the Shermans. I'm thankful, Lord, for what you have worked in the hearts of these two men and in the hearts of their wives to truly understand that a, a servant is not greater than his master and to understand that Jesus Christ came um, not to be served but to serve. And I, I see that uh, in their lives. And so uh, we thank you for these families. And, Lord, our prayer this morning is that as we uh, affirm um, uh, these men as deacons, that, uh, that their aim would be your glory, that their aim would be your renown, your fame. And, Lord, we hope in that that they would be a massive blessing to this church, a blessing to your people, a blessing to the community. And in that, Lord, we pray that they would be blessed, that they would gain that good standing, that they would hold that mystery of the faith with a good conscience, and that in doing that, they would just be affirmed in their faith and they would grow in Christ-likeness and continue to serve and raise future generations that serve. Lord, we love you very much. We thank you for this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we take the supper, I want to just say thanks to Ben and Scott for allowing me to preach this month. Um, I don't take that lightly when they hand over the pulpit to somebody that's not on staff but is an elder. I do, I do appreciate it. And um, thank you, too, for letting me do that this, this month. Um, every time we've come to the supper this month, we've been in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, and I want to go there again just uh, one more time this morning. So fitting, I think, in light of what we've just done and what we've just exposed. I want to read this passage again as we consider this meal and we consider what's been offered. Uh, we, we consider how it was offered and then how we move in it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant. You heard what Ben just read. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we take this supper this morning, take in the obedience and humility of your Lord and enjoy his service. Enjoy his obedience in this supper. Let's take the supper. If you're here today and you are trusting in Jesus as your only hope, then we encourage you to eat this supper with us. If, if you're not there or, or you need to talk about that with someone, find any of the men that you've seen on stage today after this and we'll talk to you. and We'll, we'll connect you with people who can walk that out with you. But if you are not in that place where you are trusting him, your only hope for salvation from who you are as a sinner, 
then, then don't take the supper. But if you are, then we, we ask you to take this supper with us, trusting in the only one that was perfectly obedient, the only one that served unfailing and perfectly. If you trust that and you enjoy that with me, take and eat. A new covenant through his blood, take and drink. Let's continue in worship. I have a couple of brief announcements and then I'm going to introduce a family for coming from membership. First announcement is uh, I'm speaking as a dad here for a minute. 11 years ago, uh, when we came, one of the burdens that I had personally was a burden for special needs type ministry. Uh, two of our kids, most, most of you know, many of you know, have visual, a visual impairment. So there's certain helps that go along with that. And most of that we're able to do as a family. You know, and sitting in the pew, it hadn't really been a, a need for the church as a whole. But we've moved into a season in the life of our church where we have families here that have little ones that have some special needs that are going to need, are going, going to call for some folks setting aside maybe their Wednesday evenings, maybe even setting aside some of their Wednesday evenings where they would be in here for a Bible study or where they might be at home watching TV to come sit with a little boy or little girl that needs some adult help on Wednesday nights or even maybe on Sunday mornings. And we don't have a name for this special needs ministry. It's just a need right now. And a nifty name, I guess, will come later or not. I don't really care about a nifty name. I do care about people that will consider themselves, um, consider others more important than themselves, and will consider these little ones as an opportunity to sow into something where there will be no band, there will be no movies written about you, there will be no fanfare, no dancing girls, no smoke machines, no strobe lights, nothing other than the realization and the enjoyment that comes from serving a little boy or a little girl that could use some help. Okay? It's not fancy. But I, if you feel like, if you're praying about that, you're like, man, I want to be part of that. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if I'm even equipped for it. That's okay. The first step is to get with Annie or Tiffany and to ask those questions and let them work through that with you. You may find that you have a giftedness there you didn't know about. Or you may find that you don't. And that's okay, too. That's okay. But lean forward. Air forward. Fall forward, if anything, rather than sit back saying, ah, it's not for me. You might find that there's, there's some real giftedness there and the real joy that comes along with that. The classroom helpers is what we're calling them right now. So that's not the nifty name. We'll come up with a nifty name later. Um, also, Isley Klein's adoption is Tuesday morning, and we don't, we're going to get the details. It's at 9 a.m., right? Okay. Okay. 196. Okay. All right. So, man, adoptions are a big deal for us as a church where we come out in force and just fill those courtrooms. So if you're able to come out on Tuesday morning and celebrate um, her little adoption, then be part of that um, this Tuesday, the 28th at 9 a.m. Uh, there's no Wednesday night activities this week. Okay. So if you planned on coming... Um, I would encourage you then to redirect those efforts into connecting with another family. Be intentional about still using your Wednesday night. Or maybe it's a Wednesday night where you connect to your own family in an intentional way. Instead of just existing and letting it just pass you by, maybe be intentional about connecting to your own crew this Wednesday night. So, And y'all, uh, John and Patty, y'all come on up. I want y'all to meet the spring gobs. This is John and Patty's spring gob, and I have had the chance to meet with them a couple of times and have 
enjoyed those times immensely. Now, John, I think as y'all get a chance to get to know John, you're going to find that John is, you almost have to pry stories out of him, right, Patty? <laughs> Did you see that eye roll? Yeah, don't go there. Listen, I enjoyed the stories and I enjoyed getting to know this couple and I want to encourage you to get to know them as well. Patty became a Christian as a, a girl. Um, John became a Christian as a 55-year-old man. So those of you that are pining for a family member or a friend or a neighbor, you're thinking, man, they're never going to believe. Be encouraged as you look and get to know, as you look on John and as you get to know him. So we're going to, y'all stand, and I'm going to close this in prayer. I'm going to encourage you to. Uh, let's have our newly appointed deacons come up as well. Aaron, Derek, y'all come up with your wives. Derek's already up here. Um, I'd like for, as we dismiss, y'all come by and put your arms around these these folks and put your arms around these folks for different reasons, affirming them in this call and appointment to deaconing and getting uh, greeting this couple and getting to know them, maybe just for a few minutes, introducing yourself. But I do encourage you to follow up and connect with this couple. You will enjoy yourselves, I promise you. Let's close in prayer. And y'all stick around up here for a little bit so folks can come by afterwards, okay? Let's pray. God, what a wonderful morning. Housekeeping or not, wonderful. We are so thankful for wealth of leadership. I'm thankful really for an appointment that is followed by um, a time where folks in our body had the chance to share people they thought that could be deacons, where we had a list of 15 to 20 men that are all moving and serving well. I'm thankful for the abundance of leadership in this church. It blows my mind. You have blessed us over and abundantly. I'm thankful for these men and their families and thankful for what's in store as you serve the body and minister to the body through them. And I'm thankful too for John and Patty. What a delight. What a delight having this couple come and be part of our body. I'm thankful that they stand in agreement with us and want to stand in partnership and membership with us. I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to know them personally and I look forward to this body getting to know this couple I pray for them as they walk with Bill Ruth's small group, that they will be faithful in knowing and being known. I pray that they are equipped each week to worship and enjoy you. We love you, Lord. We give you this week as an offering. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.